Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Mort. That's me. We helped build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge, and now we're in the thick of building our own tech company, and we're bringing you along for the ride. Each week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to business, career, relationships, and everything in between. We'll tackle your try or cry questions and share workplace tips that we've learned along the way, as well as interviewing inspiring business leaders. So get ready to go after what you want, be courageous, back yourself and build your dream career. This is Try Babies. Maria Thetil is an inspiring media personality, advocate, writer, speaker and creator. She was thrust into the spotlight after being crowned Miss Universe Australia in 2020 as the third woman of colour to represent Australia in its 69-year history. She since appeared on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here and provides thought-provoking social and political commentary on nationwide media programs and columns. Plus, she's recently released her first book, Unbounded, and was named Marie Claire's Voice of Now in their 2023 Women of the Year. Let's get into the chat. I don't know if we've ever had a conversation like this or even met in real life, have we? No, I I actually don't think we have. But I feel like I know you because it's that weird like parasocial social media thing where you watch people, you're like, oh, Michelle. Like when you did Mo's show, I was telling her, I'm like, yeah, Michelle, like she's pregnant. She's been (laughs) talking about it. Do you know where I'm like, now that I think about it, I've never met her. (laughs) I feel this way about you. I feel it would just, let's just get straight into it. But I can remember my first time coming across you on social media and I was definitely drawn to your account off the back of Miss Universe, which we can get into later. But the thing that really drew me in was your way with words. You were just, I thought you were so eloquent, so articulate, had really amazing opinions, but you had this way of getting them across that made it easy for anyone to understand and people that might have different perspectives to feel considered and potentially shift that perspective along the way. And yeah, it's, I feel like it's a bit of a full circle moment because I feel like it was just last night or the night before that you won this Marie Claire award for the voice of now, and you are such a voice. So I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. Oh, that means so much to me. It did. It felt like that too. It felt like a very full circle moment because you know, when I think back to Miss Universe, I think the first thing I said in the the press conference, like that night right after winning was, okay, now I've got a mic to my voice. And for me, that was the whole reason I entered. So, you know, to look back on the last three years and think that, okay, it's being recognized in this way. That was really, it was very motivating and very humbling, but it's like, right. I just want to keep going. You feel so just galvanized to keep going. Um, and what it's funny, you just said what you said. I actually got a DM this morning from someone and I felt so seen. It was, um, from a a stranger who congratulated me on the award, but they'd said something to the effect of the way you articulate opinions, especially in a world now where there are so many voices trying to compete to, to drive home a message And it's very easy for it to get lost. But I think one thing I figured out early is you don't want to just speak to an echo chamber of people who agree with you. Mm. So I try and communicate in a way where it's the people who don't agree with me or maybe don't have my perspective that they feel like, okay, it's safe enough to come to the table and I can consider a different point of view. So it's been really cool to see that come, you know, full circle. 
it honestly is a gift the way that you can do it. It's almost like an art form. And I think it is a testament to your intellect. So honestly, hats off to you because it's not easy. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, it's a very interesting time to have an opinion. I actually just wrote a column, but I don't think I'm going to send it off, but it was about having an opinion in the age of the opinion. And it feels like now, especially with everything that's happening in the Middle East and, you know, with different geopolitical conflicts and things like that, people feel like they need to say something for the sake of saying something. And I remember around the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, which was the year that I was competing for Miss Universe, there were so many people who wanted to do that. They wanted to have an opinion for the sake of it, where people put up the black tiles on their, you know, social media accounts. And because it was just to show like, like virtue signaling in a way, right? You're not actually serving the cause. And so for me, like if I am going to speak on something, it's because I actually have looked into it a little bit and it's a bit informed and it's not just speaking for the sake of speaking, because sometimes your voice isn't needed in a space. And I think I've figured that out as well. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that sounds like a very important article. I want to encourage you to (laughs) send it it. off. Please do. It's such an interesting thing to bring up. I was actually speaking about this with a colleague in in the Mm. car. I think a lot of people are being expected to speak right now or judged if they're not. And that does force people to speak who might not actually hold a certain view, but they feel like they they have to, and it leads to performativism. And then people are really publicly castrated as well if they don't have the right view or the perfect view. Yeah. And it's pretty tough expectations to be held to really. Huge expectations. And this is for anyone who's listening, like you don't have to be someone with a platform or in media. I'm sure you probably get this in your family circles with some topics and it's beyond just like the big things that are happening right now. But I think what we're doing at the moment on social media, so I studied psychology. So my first degree was psychology. So we were trained, you know, with critical thinking. If you are going to be putting forward a point of view or you're going to be asserting a point of view, you have to be able to look at all the research that goes against your point of view too. You can't just say the thing, push an agenda without trying to disprove your own hypotheses, right? Mm -hmm. So we were trained to think this way. And what I think is happening on social media is exactly what you said. We're pushing people to speak without allowing them space to, I mean, yes, there are so many resources and get informed, but if you're telling people speak right now, be the first to have an opinion, get in fast, make your stance known, And then we castrate them when they get it wrong. It's not really creating a space where anyone feels like they can grow, they can evolve, they can think critically, they can challenge their own opinions and get it wrong. So for me, it's just, I think that's a really dangerous thing. And that's why even if I get, and I get so many messages of people pushing me before I did publicly, like on TV, make my stance on what, you know, my articulate an opinion on what's happening with Israel and Palestine, especially when I was asked, about pro-Palestine rallies here in, you know, Australia. I wanted to just take a minute to listen to Palestinian voices, to listen to how this is, you know, what's going on is being experienced by the Israeli community. It's like, I think, allow people time to research and to feel comfortable speaking because it doesn't serve anyone to push people. Absolutely. And I think the internet is often such a place of extremes. It's one or the other. It's it's this opinion or it's that. And yeah. 
you often need much more space than social media even allows you to get all that education and all of that context out. 100%. You can't do it in a post or or a story. You, will, I think on some issues, you feel like you need a book, you know? 100%. 100%. Okay. I want to circle back a little bit. So yeah. people that aren't familiar with your work, could you fill us in? What have you been doing and what are you working on at the moment? Uh, so question. if you're not familiar with it, <laughs> big question, um, <laughs> and it feels like I'm about to rattle off a really exhaustive list. <laughs> but the way to describe it is, so I have studied psychology and management in a past life. I used to work in corporate HR for the Victorian government. And then in 2020, I applied to Miss Universe and I did it because I wanted to be a public voice for the things that I didn't have a public voice to look to growing up. And that was someone who was queer and a person of color and, you know, open and a woman who was unapologetically open, because I think in my culture as well, that sort of taboo to speak up and and be, you know, open and honest as an Indian woman. And so I applied to Miss Universe and I won (laughs) and I was the third woman of color to do it. I was also shorty, five foot three. And that's, you know, I guess not normal for that world. And, And I did that platform because I wanted to show people that, you know, substance is so much more than the things we can't change about ourselves, but also wanted to reclaim things I used to feel shame for, like height or race or whatever. And in the three years that have followed, I've since um, started a career in Australian media across TV. I write columns for a couple of magazines. I wrote a book. I gave the TED Talk this year and... I have made my acting debut this year and my next role is coming up. (laughs) So that's really exciting. And I think the the best thing about it is everything that I do, it is showing people who maybe didn't think they belonged in certain spaces. No, you can. And it gives people permission and I will always drive that representation. So it feels for me like I get to live my purpose in many different ways. And I feel very grateful. Honestly, you're just so impressive. There are so many parts of that that I want to dig into. But I guess to kick it off, what made you, was it that voice and feeling seen or maybe proving that you could challenge the status quo that made you think about, I'm going to leave this professional environment and I'm going to do Miss Universe? What was that transition like? What was driving you? Well, I think it was representation and not in the way that you think it wasn't like, oh, I wanted to representation, you know, somebody did it for me. So it was in 2016. So before social media was like big in Australia, 2015, 2016, maybe remember when YouTube beauty bloggers in America were really popping off. Yeah. (laughs) There was, that was a huge thing. Right. And there was a South Asian beauty blogger in America who did this video and it was something as simple as I, without concealer, have really bad dark eye circles. South Asian people, it can, you know, that's the thing that with our skin. And she did a video showing how she did her makeup. And I was like, oh my God, I spent my whole life thinking something was wrong with me Mm. for the fact that my, like at 18, I I went to it like a full on dermatologist and said, yeah, there's surgeries I can get to fix the pigmentation. Like something's wrong because I never saw people who looked like me in you know, white Australian media in representation of beauty. We didn't even have my foundation color here. So when I would like look at my face and see like pigmentation around the eyes, I'm like, something is wrong here. Mm. So seeing someone just be like, oh, this is what I do. And this is how I cover my, you know, whatever. It was like, whoa, that just did something for me. And also I loved beauty. No one here knew how to do my makeup. 
So I did a makeup course, started posting beauty content, and I was weaving in messages about my lived experiences as a woman of color and beauty feeling left out. And it started to build community. And then in 2019, I saw another South Asian woman do a very cool thing. She was an Indian Australian lawyer who won Miss Universe Australia. And that made me check my own internalized misogyny. And I was like, wait a minute, like she's a smart woman. She looks like me. She's done it. Maybe I can do it too. And that's why I thought it's worth it because in my corporate career, I've never been someone who wants to work for someone else. I just, I don't, I'm pretty entrepreneurial and creative and I just wanted to explore that. And also I wanted to be able to say what I wanted without feeling like, is this not appropriate for a professional environment? Is it like in my office right now, you guys, there's a giant print that says, fuck me. And like, I can tell you, I wanted a career where like, I didn't have people telling me you've got to be this or you've got to be that because I had that in a corporate environment and I hated it. It really chipped away at my spirit and my confidence. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the platform, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And that was awesome. I can completely relate. Like I used to work in investment banking as an HR generalist and it was the structure and the red tape and how regulated the space was that made me just think, oh my God, I can't, this isn't for me. And I went hard yeah. the opposite direction. I'm curious, when you went to that surgeon, what did they say? I remember I was 18 and he was like, you're a baby, you're very young. But, you know, there are lasers and things that are being in development. You could do this. You could get filler. But, you know, there's nothing really that will change this because it's genetics. Like your skin tone, that's just the color. That's just genetic. Mm. And I got in my car and I cried for half an hour. And I just didn't want to be in this skin. Like I was already struggling with that growing up. And 18, I was just coming out of high school. I hadn't unlearned a lot of the racism I experienced in school. So going there and being told, no, you can't change this. It's your genetics. It's like, I already wanted to not be in this skin. So for me, I found that a really hard conversation. And now I look back on it and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, you just needed someone to show you like, you're okay as yeah. you are, you're okay. Yeah. I was curious because, you know, an 18 year old walking in there, I'm like, I really hope this person wasn't. Wasn't like, trying to just take your money. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I think my opinion on, you know, if you want to go do things, you're an adult with agency, do whatever makes you happy. Right. But, you know, what concerns me is when you have kids. And I think especially now this thing with lip filler, like I grew up with naturally big lips and it was, I used to get made fun of for having big lips. And then when you see it commodified and, you know, like then white women get the filler and all of a sudden it blows up. Like women of color have been made fun of that for mm. generations. And now lip fillers are a thing where it's funny that when they were natural to me, I remember being bullied for it. And now that they're cool, people were like, your lips are fake. They can't accept that it's real. And then you have these six, but then you have these 16 year olds now who are looking and seeing this and thinking, I need to look like that. And I've heard stories of parents taking their teenagers to doctors and saying like a little bit here, a little bit there. And it's like, you know, just give them time to maybe grow into themselves a little bit as an adult and then make the decision. You know, it's yeah. that to me as kids, it's too much. Yeah. I think that's what scares me about social media and the beauty filters and that people are able to put them on their face at such a young age. It's already 
I can already remember so much insecurity just from magazines, let alone social media and filters that would have allowed me to alter my face. I just am not sure what that would have done to me at a young age. No, not at all. And and social media, like I remember, I didn't have that growing up either. I think maybe MySpace was just yes. starting to become a thing. And like, and even then just changing your top friends would cause so much anxiety and you'd get in your head. And so I cannot imagine when we have, when we think of kids, they already are trying to figure out who they are without a million voices online telling them and, and, and having their ideas and their sense of self-worth rooted in likes and comments. And it's such a dangerous environment, which is ironic because it's the environment that I work in, that we work in. But I think there's so much good there. It's just got to be moderated. Yeah. I think your story is just proof of how important representation is that seeing those couple of women show up in the way they did influenced you in such a phenomenal way and led you to do incredible things. Um, Yeah. With the unpacking of your internalized misogyny, going from that corporate environment to Miss Universe, what did that look like? Because I think that's something that many people could admit they've had internalized misogyny around as well. Perhaps they still do. So what would you say? Of course. Well, I remember when I, so the whole thing when I was growing up, people were wildly racist. Like I don't even know how to express how every day it was, how it came from my friends. Casual racism? Just casual, but like over like the comments that friends I remember like this is one story that sticks out with me because I remember I I literally had to fight everything in me in the moment to not cry I was about 16 years old and I walked into school and I remember a friend just saying and in front of a big group of girls Maria oh my god you look so Indian today nothing else nothing else just with this tone of disgust and I remember thinking like I don't know how else to look like I am wearing white makeup, I am changing my hair, I am wearing eye contacts, and it's like I can't escape this skin. It's it's like the racism was so full on that I just hated myself because it was like, oh, well, because I'm Indian, because I'm in the skin, that's why people are treating me this way. And I deserve this. Being in the skin is the price, like bullying is the price to pay. So it was really full on and it made me feel like, I just wasn't worth anything and I wanted to change everything about myself. And so the one thing that used to make me feel like I was enough or something to cling to was academic achievement. I was a pretty like smart kid. And so I went into my psych degree and my management degree thinking to myself, well, if I've got this corporate career, people are going to take me seriously as a smart woman. And I think for so many women, we have a lot of conflicting messages around what a good woman looks like, what a smart woman looks like, what a woman who is cheap looks like, what's a, you know, a woman who's easy, this, that, the other. And we judge each other and we judge ourselves because we're holding ourselves to these standards of what the perfect woman is that we weren't born with. We've inherited it from a very patriarchal society. And so when I worked in corporate, I thought, well, I better do this because it's a serious, smart job and people will think I'm a woman who's worth something. And then when I look at something like modeling or Miss Universe, I thought, well, it doesn't take much. You just have to be beautiful and that's it. 
And so that's the internalized misogyny. And I remember I had peers, like even when I was doing my makeup course, I went to a school at Melbourne Uni. That was where I did my master's, very academic school. And when I started doing makeup on social media at the same time as this master's degree at Melbourne, I remember one of my peers saying, oh my God, you're not going to be one of those makeup girls, are you? And instead of defending what I wanted and saying, this just makes me sing. And and those makeup girls, they're fucking amazing. Instead of saying that, I was like, oh no, it was it's just a little like, hobby, like a pet project that I just do on the side. I dimmed myself because I was embarrassed. So the way I unchecked it was when I saw Priya do it, it met, who was Miss Universe Australia 2019, the Indian Australian lawyer. When I saw her do it, I thought to myself, I have just judged an entire cohort of women. I haven't even given then the time of day where I've thought they have something to say. They've come with histories, expertise, visions, values, goals, they're capable. I've just judged it and thought it's a vacuous modeling thing, whatever. And so that has been one of the greatest joys in doing Miss Universe Australia my way too, because it's shown people you don't have to just be one thing. And the women who come through on that platform, you just have to go look at any one of their stories. I remember in the year before me, there was a woman who was an advocate against sexual assault and sexual abuse. And she shared her story and did remarkable work. There have been politicians, there have been engineers, scientists, you know, these women are changing the world. And yes, the Miss Universe platform is the thing with the issue because it's not always been very inclusive, which is changing now. We had mothers participate this year, transgender women, women, you know, with body diversity, it's getting there. But we don't have to shame the women who come through. And I think we need to stop holding women broadly to standards of what smart, good, successful looks like because we're more than what we're told we are. Oh, I can just relate to this so much because even in founding Sunroom, I went through a similar journey and we were originally inspired by OnlyFans and that really scared me. I thought, ooh, OnlyFans and I realized I held these stigmas as well against what it meant to be on OnlyFans and was this a last resort? And is this a bit of a sellout? Is this easy? And I really had to challenge myself, like, why did I have that initial perspective? Was it an opinion of my own or was it the way I thought I had to feel about people who are on OnlyFans? And I ended up speaking to so many of them and seeing them as, as people with many different things going on in their lives and realizing how smart they were and strategic and how many of them have been disadvantaged and discriminated against on the internet and for existing in certain ways for their whole lifetime. And it's, it is such rewarding unlearning to go through and to form an opinion that is truly, truly yours and to realize how much this patriarchal society actually has led you to judge and put people in certain buckets and with what you're saying, it's there's so much labeling. And I think it does often like lean a bit more heavily towards women and women's interests. And I think beauty, modeling, wellness can all sometimes be put in this basket of a little bit silly and girly mm. and as female coded interests are. Yeah. yeah. It's always female coded interests mm. are always, it's just like a silly, goofy, girly thing. Yeah. Like it's, we, we, we really, need to check that. And I love what you said about you checking your own ideas and stigmas, Michelle, that is not an easy thing to do. And so many people still can't do it. And actually my partner and I were just chatting about, there was, she was a children's entertainer who then moved to OnlyFans. Mm. And it was like, you know what? 
good for you. If you're doing things with agency, good for you. Like sex work is real work and it's an industry that needs to be regulated and protected. And often what we forget is when we judge these spaces, it is almost always women from marginalized communities who experience it so much harder because of that disadvantage, because we're coming up in a world where privilege hasn't always been afforded to us in equal ways. And I just feel very, very strongly about the concept of agency. If somebody has chosen something, I think it's about respecting it and also looking at the double standards we have because we can watch sex scenes in something like cinema and we herald people for artistic performances and then we judge people who might choose that as a profession and do it in a completely different format. For me, it's like the only thing that's different is the social conditioning we have around it. And so I think it's worth unpacking that. We're taking a quick break from the episode and we'll be right back, but we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any burning questions for us, please hit us up on Instagram at our Try Babies, the podcast Instagram page. You can also join us in our Facebook group. Let's get back to the app. Oh, okay. I love all of this, but I'm going to switch gears slightly Yes, because we're going to run out of time. Could you (laughs) talk me through your journey around your sexuality and embracing that? Yes. Um, So I grew up uh, as a daughter of an ex-priest, an ex-priest who was also an Indian immigrant. So it's like the double whammy with (laughs) conservative (laughs) upbringing. It was like culture, religion. And so I didn't even know I feel like I didn't understand that being gay or being lesbian was a concept until I was like in high school when people started using it as slurs and then I started to unpack what those slurs were. Like I'd hear people say things like, that's so gay, you're so gay in primary school. I didn't even know what that meant. Like I just was so not exposed to that, right? And then when I was in high school, I went to a private all-girls school and I early on had crushes on girls in my school and I used to rationalize it to myself and go well no no I'm not gay because I also like boys and I think it's just because I go to an all-girls school and there are no boys here so that's nothing and then when I got a little bit older I'm talking like 15 16 and you'd go to parties I would always hook up with this one friend (laughs) (laughs) and we would just say oh it's just this thing that we do when we're drunk and it's nothing and I then got into a string of relationships with men from, I'm going to say, 17 through to 25. Mm. And my last relationship was about four years and he was the most beautiful man you can imagine, just a good man to his core. But I cannot tell you how many nights I spent going to bed wondering what it would be like to be with a woman. And it was this feeling of sadness because I loved him. And I thought, oh, well, we're going to probably end up getting married. And that's what you do. You get married, you have kids. And I just remember thinking, I'm never going to know if this is a thing. I am never going to know what it feels like to sleep with a woman. I'm never going to know what it feels like to go on a date with a woman. And that used to make me so deeply sad and trapped. Mm. And then it just got too loud to ignore in the relationship. It was like, I don't think I'm in the right place. And I didn't break up with him to come out. Mm. It was still something I was battling. But when I broke up with him, it gave me that freedom. And so I remember it was 2020 while I was, you know, I was universe finalist for the national competition. I hadn't come out publicly or anything. And I changed my dating app preferences one night from men to men and women. 
And I was so excited. I had a few matches and I knew like they were talking to me because they were also attracted to me. Like we've matched each other, but somebody saw my profile and messaged it to a friend and said, Hey, just saw this is Maria gay. And it made me freak out so much. I just changed my app preferences back. I'm like, tell them it's a catfish. Mm-hmm. So I just buried that. It wasn't until I got back from Miss Universe Australia, um, sorry, Miss Universe, where I represented Australia. And I was like, right, the media attention is like, it's on me, but now no one can judge me and use anything against me in the competition. Like, this is how sad it was. I was so scared to publicly date women in the lead up to Miss Universe because I was worried about what people would say. And would that jeopardize how people see me representing my country? Like, that's terrible. But I got back and I thought, throw it to the wind. I don't care what people say anymore. Started dating women. And it was really great, but I was still doing it privately. And then I did I'm a Celebrity. And while I was in the jungle advocating for Minus 18 Youth, an LGBTQ plus charity for youth on behalf of my brother, I was in there and I'm telling you that show, like people think it's, is it fake? Do they feed you? Is it not? No, (laughs) you are starved and dirty with people you don't know. And something about that just strips you back. And I Mm. just thought, what am I doing? Like I'm advocating for this and I'm lying to myself. So since I came out publicly, it has been so well received and I've now gotten so much more comfortable in my sexuality and my relationships. I'm experiencing love in a way that I haven't before. I've never had relationships like this. And so it's making me then think, I'm looking back at the heterosexual relationships I've had, other than that one with that beautiful man, the rest of them, I'm like, I feel like I just did it because I was conditioned to do it. Because now what I'm experiencing is so different to anything. It's been life-changing. Shedding those ideas about who I should be, who I should love, it's life-changing. It's so fascinating that I'm a celebrity experience because it sounds like you almost get stripped back to animal instinct. You do. Yeah. And so you, yeah, you do. Yeah. Freer and just a bit more wild, perhaps in many ways. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And you also like, they're all very smart with that social experiment. Like you're all wearing the same clothes. You don't have access to hair or makeup or anything. So anything in the outside world, like makeup or clothes or the things that we identify with, it's gone. So now you're all just people who are bonding. Those it's, masks it's pretty clever. As well, the, the masks come down. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, so you had been kissing a friend when you were younger. Was, <laughs> has she, was she also queer? I don't know. I know. I think Not she's fair. married now okay. <laughs> with the kids, but I, I don't know if she was also queer, but curious. we loved it. <laughs> And then how old were you when you ended up having like that first experience where you were embracing, you know, I think this is what I want? 27 or 28. So it took a really long time. 28 was my first date with a woman. And it was also the year that I was first intimate with a woman too. So it took me a long time to get there. Wow. I just, it's so fascinating to hear, you know, these thoughts that you would have going to bed with this partner, like you knew within your core and that feeling trapped would have been so hard. And then I imagine that first experience was really quite validating and like liberating. Liberating, liberating. And you know what? It's like, that's how I, and I want to speak about it because for anyone who's listening, like that's not a normal thing. I don't think, I don't think it's a normal thing to lie in bed and to like literally yearn with your body Mm. for an experience. And I felt it in like every fiber of my being that I wanted to know what it was like to be with women. And 
I just invalidated myself. I was like, that must, that's, you're just curious. It's whatever. And it's like, no, if your body and you feel something in your body and your spirit is telling you something like listen to it at the very least, don't brush it off. Just follow it. See where it leads you. I haven't dated men since I've come out. I have maybe hooked up with two, but I've only dated women since. And I think that says something. So, (laughs) and I'm still figuring that out, you know, and that's okay. I think it's just giving yourself the space to just be. Mm, Your relationship now looks so incredible. I was trying not (laughs) not to show it when I did my chat with Mo, but I'm also a big Survivor fan and just really really love her. But I saw that you did your weekend away and it just looks like you're both so happy. And I'm just so happy for you that you can, you know, you're living this public life and it feels like you're really just you. Yeah. You know what? It's people will say like, oh, the one of the strongest women. No, she's actually one of the strongest women I think anyone will meet. She's strong. She's smart. She's driven. She's so accomplished, but like at her core, she's just a really good person. And what I, what I think is like for both of us to come together, I think we have such a deep respect and admiration for what the other does. But when we're with each other, we can just be with each other and like shed all of that stuff. It's just so silly. And it's so and we just laugh a lot, but it's very deep. And I think given the circumstances, it's quite unique. Like both having a public profile, we had to be very considered in, you know, how we approach things. She's also got two children. I don't want to be irresponsible. And it's like, let's make sure like we know what we're doing before. Like, you know, just, so it's been a really beautiful thing where we very intentionally have loved each other. And I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's just, she's just, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm like one of those annoying people who like, when they talk about their relationship, they're gushing, but she's just a really good person. And I've, in the months that I've been dating her, I have grown and changed in ways that I didn't even know. Mm. Like I, I, I've just, things have opened up with me. Like I thought I didn't want a family. I thought I didn't want kids. I was very like, See, you're not for me. And then, you know, she's just taught me what's important and it's love and and people to love. And that's really great. I love this. I feel like you're both just two very strong, intelligent, like deep people that have, that have found each other, which is really special. Uh, okay. I have Mm -hmm. two, I have two final questions. Don't want to keep all day or all week, Um, (laughs) but what advice would you give to young Maria? Oh, well, firstly, hang in there because it is going to get so much better. But I would tell her to start opening herself up to the idea that the things she's taught to reject about herself, just open yourself up. Just consider that maybe they could be your strength. Maybe they could be your power because they end up being your power. And I would just tell her that in life, if she ever has to disappoint anyone for anything, don't let it be yourself. I love that. Okay. We have a little segment on try babies where we ask a spicy question. And my question Ooh. is the same to every single, every single guest because <laughs> it's my favorite question to ask. But have you ever had sex in public? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Where? Haven't we all? Haven't we all? 
That's why. So when you say in public, like I had, I didn't have an audience. Like it's not like people were watching. Okay. There's a list of places. There's no one like quite thinking. I'm like this weird person who only ever in restaurant bathrooms, (laughs) (laughs) on the top of a freeway, um, on a hill somewhere in like a national park. That sounds um, good. On the front of a truck. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it's just, but you know, it was all very discreet. I will tell you, it was super discreet. Um, I mean, haven't we all? Haven't we all? We have. That's why it's a great I, question because we just get the goss. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? We're all human and there ain't nothing wrong with it. So it's just, I can, I can probably think of a few more, but really just off the top of my head. I love it. That's uh, when you got to do it, you got to do it. (laughs) Wise words to live by. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. You're just beautiful all round inside and out. And you've lived, you've lived such an extensive life already. I feel with really deep experiences that have made you just who you are. And it, it honestly is really inspiring to listen to you. Like I've, I've actually teared up a couple of times just from some of the things that you've shared. So I'm just so grateful that you went this deep with us. And for anyone out there, where can they find you? I really appreciate that. I just, I want to say like, it's, it was the easiest thing in the world. It felt like we were just having a really great conversation. And uh, I think, you know, you create a really safe space for people to do that. And you're so vulnerable with your stuff too. And it's why, you know, at the start of this chat, I said, like, I felt like I was bloody in the room when you went to see your, your, your obstetrician and telling my partner. Like, <laughs> and she's feeling really good about it though. So you should talk to her about that. And by the way, how was pregnancy? It's a whirlwind. I do feel like I'm 15 weeks now, which is nuts because in five weeks I'm halfway and that blows my mind. But I'm, oh my God. I'm at that stage where just things are starting to stretch. Like I'm sitting here in stockings, but they're actually like <laughs> around my very low oh because they were just squeezing. So yeah, she's shaped. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I will, I will throw in a little recommendation. Also stockings should not be doing that. The whole purpose <laughs> of stockings is to stretch. So, yeah. you know, we'll give it that. But I would just say I have denim that I like to wear that are super, super stretchy, very comfortable. Try Freddie Rub Snug jeans because they're really good. They're like literally for every body shape. As your body's changing, I think it'd be a good one. So okay. here we go. But I'm, I mean, good luck. It's it's exciting. It's around the corner. I know. I honestly will get them because all of my jeans are now at the point where it's unbuttoned and, and pulled down. So I'll be heading. I also don't I also don't have time for buttons. So go for the zip <laughs> ones. Because like I'm not even pregnant and I'm like, I just don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah. No, it's time to it's time to switch it up. Um, and if people want to find me, they can find me on Instagram. They can find me on my website, on YouTube, but just type up my name and it'll, it'll come up. Yeah. And I will say you can also find me in bookstores and look for half of my face on the cover. (laughs) Um, it's called unbounded and there's so much of what we talked about, you know, it just goes into, you said like, how can you keep these topics to a caption or a post? Mm. I couldn't. So I wrote a book. (laughs) Go read it. (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Maria. And thanks on behalf of the whole Tri Babies clan. Done. Thanks. Thanks for having me. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.